Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Good morning, folks. This is the Am I Called podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Harvey. And uh, we are not in Florida today, so there's no bright and shiny weather going on. Um, But we are sitting in Windsor, which is just outside of London, and that's where the Queen's Castle lies. Um, There's a light drizzle, about 35 degrees out, so it's making the the roads pretty dangerous. But most importantly is that I'm sitting here with my friend Pete Greasley. Uh, Pete is the pastor of Christ Church. That church has been uh, was planted about 22 years ago in in Newport, Wales, and in 1999, Kim and I uh, relocated there for about three months, and that's where Pete and I kind of got to know one another and deepened our friendship, a friendship which we thoroughly enjoy and going to have for the rest of our lives. So, uh, Christ Church is is reformed. It's it's a continuationist church, it's planted churches, and has an amazing outreach uh, into the community of Newport, which is, a, uh, which is an emerging community, but also a very impoverished community. So Pete, thanks for, for joining the podcast today. You're welcome, Dave. It's good to be with you, bud. So Pete, you have been in the same role. You planted this church, uh, it's been 22 years, right? Yeah, that's right. So you've been in the same role for 22 years, and... Uh, it's not uncommon for for guys to make constant changes in ministry roles, and uh, you know you were telling me about we had a conversation the other day where one group you were involved in for a number of years. You said nobody stayed there for more than five years, so no lead pastor stayed there for more than five years. So maybe just for a second, talk to the talk to the guys that are listening that might be younger, uh, and talk about why they should have a vision for remaining in the same place? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, I think it's because the calling to pastoral ministry, as I would see it, is not primarily, from what I can see, just for my ministry. The idea that God calls me to ministry, it becomes my career, and therefore I'm always looking for settings in which I can work out my career. I think it's, it's far more fundamental than that. God calls us in ministry to a people. Um, and those people become the, the end goal of our ministry. Now, I'm not saying that God can't and doesn't move men from one church to another, of course. Uh, and yet, unless that's clear, then I think for the church's sake, and in line with what I see scripturally, which is not men unless they're sent out specifically to plant churches, not men just going from one church to another, but men giving themselves wholeheartedly, as long as we both shall live, unless there's a clear calling otherwise. What's the danger? People. What's the danger of guys moving around too quickly? Well, I mean, for me, I would have to say I've been well, pastoring <clears throat> in this church for 22 years since we planted it. Prior to that, I've pastored some of these people before that for 10 years. So it's almost, it's over 30 years now. Um, the danger of moving quickly is after five years, for instance, so you, you talked about the idea that, and that was the old premise, after five years, bringing someone fresh, new ideas, 
just like just like we do with the presidency mm-hmm. or we do over here with the government, bring in someone new with new, fresh ideas. But what tends to happen is you undo what's been done before to a degree and then start something new and somebody else comes in. The sense of building slowly, effectively, with generation after generation, of establishing something... Um, is very difficult to do when you're only there for a few years. So I, I love the fact that I'm still there after 22 years. I have no intention of being anywhere else unless God clearly calls me or unless the church say, hey, bud, your time's up. So part of how you're defining uh, success for your role and success for um, what God has called you to do in Christ's church is through longevity. It's... Whereas uh, one man might say, no, I need to be here for a few years and move on because that's what's going to cause me to be most successful. You kind of turn that upside down and say, what's going, to, what's going to cause me to be most successful, as God defines it, is to remain in one place and build with one people and, uh, and marry them and bury them and, uh, and be there for them. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, my paradigm is the, the only or right <clears throat> paradigm. I believe it is right for me. I believe the the gifts that I have and the calling that God's given to me is essentially just to pastor this local church and to care for them. So there is a joy. There's a joy that so many men miss out as well, not as well as effectiveness. The joy of dedicating a child whose parents you married, that you also dedicated them and married their parents. So I've had that joy of, of seeing, I've, I've, there's some people in the church, I've baptized, I've married, I've dedicated their children, their children have grown up, I've baptized them, they've married, and I've dedicated their children. Oh, wow. There's, a, there's something in that of, of such a sweet joy of being able to build a family and see that grow. So I think a lot of guys are so caught up with, what should I be doing next? Where should I be going next? They sometimes can miss the, the, the blessing it can be for them as well as for the church to say, I'm here, guys. Part of what's implied in, in the vision that you're describing is that you have a church then that's, that's multi-generational. Mm-hmm. You've, got, you've got a number of different age ranges and age groupings in the church. I mean, we were talking about Hetty last night yeah. passing away and how yeah. she had been in the church for so many years and uh, as I'm in the church on Sunday I mean Pete Morris yeah an older man he was a royal air airman um, is coming up and he's been coming up every time I've visited Christ Church for the last 20 some years he comes up and, and greets me so I'm aware that you have this you have this gray-haired group that's very special and feels so attached to the church and yet you have a thriving singles ministry. You have a you have a lot going on with the teenagers. You've got outreaches for younger folks into the community. And and somehow you're you're pulling all that all together. So why don't you talk a little bit, Pete, about you know, what are the some some of the challenges that you've encountered in pastoring a multi-generational church? Um, there are challenges. Uh, again, there are great joys, but there are great challenges. Um one of the one of the things that we have at Christchurch, which which is we are so grateful for, is that big cross section. You couldn't look at any one group and say that essentially defines Christchurch. 
We have so many babies being born, it seems, on a monthly basis. We have a thriving young children's ministry. We have a youth ministry. We have a good singles ministry. We have a lot of young marrieds and older marrieds. And then we have this older group of folk as well who are some of the most enthusiastic, passionate people in the church. So that's the layout. The challenge is things have changed so much really since the war. Generational swings are a massive issue. And, you know, we've been talking a bit about this and I've been reading a little on this of how up to the war, essentially people didn't change much. Each generation came and there were always generational frictions because there are because of age but that you did the son did what the dad did what the granddad did and not much changed we hit the war and then the baby boomers arrived after the war there's a huge generational swing of how i perceive reality how i uh, my whole worldview of the baby boomers changed then we find 20 years on you've got the generation x which swings in another way and then 20 years on, you've got the millennials, which swing in another way. And now everybody under 10 years old is probably a post-millennial, for want of a better word. They all have different worldviews. They all approach things differently. They all have different needs. They, they live in different worlds. And therefore, when you're trying to hold that church together and move forward together, you hit things like worship styles. You hit things, for want of a better word. Uh, you hit things like priorities of... Um, how I view where I live, what I do with my life. We have issues relating into, I don't even know how to say it, just just worldliness, I guess, and ha- what worldliness looks like in each generation. Um, and so trying to move us all forward together, uh, both publicly and privately, in smaller groups as well as a larger group, is a continual challenge. Would you say it's accurate that most generations live relatively unaware of the distinctives or the differences in the other generations that they're around? Uh, so, for instance, in the church, it's not like uh, the average boomer is really going to be all that tuned into what a post-millennial is thinking or vice versa, that we're, we're really kind of siloed off from one another. Is that, is that your experience as well? And if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, I do think it is. Well, because I think the, one of the reasons is things have changed, are changing so dramatically and so quickly, particularly with the introduction of the Internet, uh, social media. So the millennials and post-millennials live in a world that the baby boomers can't even begin to comprehend. We try, you know, we get on, we get onto our computers and we call the kids to ask us what's going on. But in some ways, we're a, we're in a strange world. It's a bit of a twilight zone for us, and we're trying to catch up on. But for them, it's very natural and very normal. They were raised with it. They were. It's completely normal. Um, but I think it's more, it's more than just those outside factors. There are internal factors, again, coming back to worldview. So the boomers, for instance, the boomers were, were a subjective group. They rejected traditionalism, threw it out, um, and it, you know, tune in, turn on, drop out, or whatever way that around, turn on, tune in, I can't remember. I just remember we tried mm-hmm. to do it. But it became very subjective. If it feels right, do it. Um, the millennials, for they, instance, they brought that into the church. Oh, I think so. I think a lot of 
what we were in, in the charismatic movement, um, was an imported understanding of what spirituality is mm-hmm. and and what it means to really ex- experience God. I don't think that was all bad, I must say. Um, but I think the millennials, for instance, would go not back to traditionalism, but would reject a lot of that subjectivity as the the meeting point of experiencing mm-hmm. God. Um, so when I've got baby boomers who, for instance, who just want to spend an hour with their hands in the air, enjoying slow songs, and I've got millennials who are saying, we need some more lit- liturgy let's, here. Yeah, let's get the sacraments back. Yeah, let's come on, lir- we're missing liturgy, this. Yeah. We need to be rehearsing the gospel when we're together. Uh-huh. And the baby boomers are saying, no, we just need to be encountering God and we'll get the gospel so I'm trying to help each generation understand how the other generation perceive their relationship with God from a biblical standpoint and the other thing I'm trying to do is encourage every generation particularly the older generation to to love the other generations to give them room to try to understand to not hold on to their preferences, believing those preferences to be absolutes. Mm. Um, now, some people may say to me, so what you've got is a church where nobody really enjoys it in the way they could. Um, I don't think that's the case, with, because I think there is an enjoyment and a, the pleasure of God in people giving up, this is Romans, Romans, giving up some of the things that are so important to them in order that we can all together... Mm-hmm move forward and display something of what the kingdom of God should look like, which is the diversity, not just of backgrounds, but the diversity of age. Yeah, part of the way I look at the nature of of original sin, you know, like what, what exactly happened in Genesis 3 is that is that it, as soon as sin comes, sin begins to exaggerate and agitate the differences I mean, obviously, there's the vertical effect on the relationship with God. But on the horizontal level, it's almost as, as if the differences between the man and the woman are such a problem now that they have to be covered over. I mean, yeah. they, they elicit this shame and the, you know, this idea that I'm naked. And my point is that it, it seems like what, what happens is sin attacks differences and, and elevates them as a point of conflict, yeah. a point of... of of, of challenge and so as when we apply that to generations it's it can be real every generation perceives that what they experience and what they think as being the definition of objective truth and, yeah and so they elevate that these are this is who we are this is you know these are our differences and we elevate that and uh, and then look down on other generations yeah and yeah and I would think particularly in the area of leadership Pete um because I think the nature of leadership seems to have changed somewhat, or maybe it's just the application of leadership. As you as you're a pastor in a in a multi generational church, you know it looks completely different to lead a millennial than it does maybe a boomer who was accustomed to a certain kind of leadership growing up. So how do you experience that? How does um, how has leadership changed, or maybe the application of leadership changed? between the boomers and, and those that came after? Um, true. How do I answer that? I, 
in some ways, leadership is leadership. You you are you are bringing people back to the gospel. You are trying to apply truth. You're trying to teach sound doctrine, and so that the the essence of it doesn't change. Um, I think there are challenges. For instance, I would look at the the millennials and particularly the Generation X, which will maybe be my my biggest concern generationally, who will be far less community-minded than the baby boomers and the millennials. Here's, here's a generation who have become quite insular. I think in some ways a bit, the lost generation, we, we're neither reacting like the boomers were or like the millennials have been, and we're just in the middle not knowing where we stand. And so you take those folk, and one of the big challenges... This is the Generation X. Generation yeah. X. So people, really, you're talking about people, what, from born 85 through 2005, something like that. And people, people disagree on exactly where it is. But those people, I'd say between 30 and 50, who, um, who are not thinking the same way that their parents may have thought, who have not moved into place with the millennials, they're... They're catching up with things, but they're quite isolated. They could be quite cynical generation. And so trying to speak into them to, to build them into a sense of community, which is easy for the older ones, is, is, is a challenge. But then I look at the older folk, the, the boomers, and for them, their challenge is, um, whereas they're happy to be in community, and happy to be subjective, trying to establish them uh, in anything that's traditional, anything that is that is truth based, that, that you know, we've been doing this for two thousand years, and it ain't a bad thing to do. Mm-hmm. The, the the tendency for them is, well, it just don't feel good, so let's throw it out. So all the time, I'm trying to understand where people are coming from, and and help them be able to question the reality of their reality mm-hmm. and the truth of their reality. And, and thank God we have so many wonderful people who are humble enough to go, maybe my perception of the world and how I interpret the scripture and how we live this out may be flawed. Maybe it's being affected from the worldview that's, that I've grown up in. And so it's, it's trying to bring the gospel to people and that gospel firstly causes us not to boast or be proud, but to turn back to the word, and learn from one another. So those are some of the challenges that are going. The easiest thing, I think, to do, and we've asked the question, should we break up the church? Should we say, well, I'll stay with the boomers and the people that have been around a long time, and we'll have our own particular style of sung worship, and we're all going to love it, and we're going to meet in our big community groups, and it's just going to be great, and we're going to let the Generation X choose whether they want to be with us or not, and then we'll plant a millennial church with some of the younger pastors, and they can be yeah. more millennial. Yeah. And so, why why haven't you done that? It's to me, it's just contrary to everything that Scripture teaches. You talk about Genesis three and the division, but then you go to Revelation. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation and language. Yeah, the whole point of Paul's the wall may be broken down between Jews and Gentiles, but I don't want to put a wall up between millennials and boomers or Generation X, because there's something that speaks to a world that are lost in their own small groups. There's something that cries out the gospel that breaks down the barriers through the blood of Jesus Christ, where uh, a 90-year-old can fellowship with a 19-year-old 
from two different worlds and enjoy Christ together, mm-hmm. both publicly and privately. So it's not, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's not that uh, the nature of leadership has changed. It, we're still attempting to uh, to bring the gospel and help people to apply the gospel, but but the 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 way that influence is experienced and uh, and delivered might be completely different towards a millennial than it would be towards a boomer because a boomer and a millennial have different assumptions about how one receives and experiences truth is yeah. that right yeah i think that's i think that's very true and i will find myself of course um you know taken out of context but becoming all things to all men in order that i might win some even though they may be christians and in the church i want to try and understand how a millennial thinks so i can speak to them in that so i will be saying one thing to one person toward the same end and with the same truth but applying it to one person in a completely different way than i will to somebody else now, where I want to take this conversation is I want to talk about what it looks like for a pastor to eventually decide that the church needs to be transitioned to another person. But um, that's a good enough conversation and a deep enough conversation that I think we should hold that off for another podcast. So that's it for today, folks. Pete, thanks for joining Pleasure. me on this. And uh, I want to encourage you to stay tuned uh, for a second interview that we're going to do with Pete on the topic of transferring the church to the next generation. Um, also, uh, if the amicalled.com site has has served you at all or you like this podcast, throw us a like or a tweet and uh, and check out the site as well. We've done some done some work on the assessment test. There's a lot of leadership resources. There are podcast interviews with Russ Moore and Randy Alcorn and Ed Welch and I think the one with Andy Crouch releases today so you can check that out and I, I hope you enjoy that and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch you next time for our next interview with Pete. Thanks.